Welcome to Making Conversations, a podcast from makers Gemma Millen and Robin Galway. Today we are making conversations with Deborah Toner. We are here with Deborah Toner, myself, Gemma and Robin. We're talking Hi. with Deborah today. Hi. Hi. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. How are you guys? Good. Yeah. 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 Let's kind of just jump in then. So tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background. How did you become a maker? Okay. I studied to become an architect. So I've always been really creative and I'm and always been a maker. And I think that like covers so many different things. Like I when I was growing up, it was just I had a pottery wheel, I had like play and a weaving loom and everything and my parents massively encouraged that and I was just really into using my hands and making things and really into patterns and pieces of fabric and you know reading through my granny's sewing room and you know all of that I think had a massive influence on me then I think I was quite heavily encouraged to do a degree that you got a job out of you know so and that that I understand now that I'm older that you know where that encouragement comes from I was always then really fascinated with the built environment and architecture and again from a material point of view like the materiality of your surroundings and we spent so many years as kids like traveling around Ireland and down in Loch Erne and you know just seeing how everybody different people live and their different surroundings and architecture so it massively influenced me but I came from a really really kind of creative part of that I think so I applied to do architecture and then a very long seven years later then came out I actually failed final year I had like some health problems and had to take some time away and then was really determined to finish even though they said look stop come back but I said no I'm gonna finish and then I failed one module by like a couple of points really really minor but I kind of should have taken their advice but then I think that's part of me too like just really really determined and a bit stubborn kind of to go along with that but um, and that works that that pays off in other respects so then in my degree show I displayed some maps that I made so but I'll go back as part of my thesis and we all have to write a thesis in masters you were offered kind of the opportunity to make something if you make something you can write less I mean for anybody that's creative that's happy days you know the last thing you want to do is be slogan typing at a computer I thought right the bet like this is brilliant great this is right up my street and because I did find like elements of studying architecture quite tough because there is model making and there is that kind of creative side but there's an awful lot of kind of theory based learning and things like that which is quite heavy if it's not kind of who you are but it becomes who you are whether you like it or not because it's such a long kind of process and you end up just really loving it and becoming it just becomes you I wrote my thesis about city patterns and factors that affect and change those city patterns and I had to, we all had to, studying in Ulster, you all had to kind of bring your theme back home so whatever your theme was you had to tie it back into where you lived or the city that you were in, the city you were studying in. So city patterns for me was something to do with like materiality, fabric, but then also the patterns, street patterns, the layout of your city, and then obviously factors and effects and changes over time with the troubles, the introduction of the West Link. So if you comparatively look at a series of maps, like the introduction of the, le- the West Link just obliterates so much of our city. Places in North Belfast, like for example, where my mum grew up, was a lovely, beautiful series of terrace streets that then half of it just got completely obliterated and made into cul-de-sacs. So kind of studying that. And then you take reference of like, the, like Chicago that's built on a grid and 
Birmingham that was, you know, completely destroyed and then remade, rebuilt, sorry. So you kind of can look at all those different places and different city patterns and how people live. But I always wanted to bring it back to something tactile and something kind of that I could really put a whole load of me into. So that's where I then decided to make a series of maps to represent fractured changing and development of Belfast over time. And I did that series of six from the very first recorded map, which is 1648, right up until the present day, which at that time was 2009, which is feels like a very long time ago now. And I displayed these at my degree show. I was approached by the Ulster Museum and they asked to buy them. Well, first of all, they asked to include them in a, a kind of a traveling exhibition. And I just thought, yeah, no problem. And I kind of never really thought of my work like that. But I, as kind of the little hidden artist in me at that point, was like, brilliant. This is amazing. And so it traveled around, they traveled around for about a year. And then they they asked, could they buy them for their permanent collection? They bought them and they've been held on permanent collection in the Ulster Folk Museum. And I think to this day, they are still the most recent acquisition of linen into the Ulster Folk Museum. So that was quite a nice okay. thing, quite a nice thing for the non-existent CV. But yeah, so it's a nice, nice thing to be able to tell people and a nice kind of basis. So from that's kind of where I began. And I thought, well, there might be something in this turning your architectural drawings into something different something that appeals to my more creative nature and me wanting to work with my hands you finish college and you're wiped out especially after a really really intense master's so I didn't want to do anything to do with it I wanted just a break and I think I felt like that after part one too and I think it's kind of I don't think it's only architecture I think it's maybe just when you come out of like a really institutionalized environment you are just frazzled and you know I just wanted to go on holiday I wanted to get part-time job I just wanted to just live a little bit after that I decided right I've got all of these drawings and this massive body of work what can I do to move that in that direction and see like you've no idea whether it's going to work and you kind of take a bit of a, a chance but I just made some really really simple embroideries of Belfast buildings pieced them together and made my skyline it hasn't changed since that point now I've refined how I do it and I feel it looks better and works better but it hasn't changed since those very early days and I got a casual pitch at St George's market the day that I went there I was given a really horrible fish scaly table I had stolen my mum's wedding present linen tablecloth out of the hot press was just like she'll never know cleaned down the table it was horrendously bad for the environment baby wipes I think we got like a sponge and something from so we were all cleaned off and this really beautiful art and tablecloth down and not very much product but I didn't I spent the whole day speaking to people about what I did and I got so much interaction and I sold everything on my table and I was like this is amazing like my husband was with me he wasn't my husband then but we left that day on such a high like we had so much fun and to feel that you can do something like this was just amazing so I sat at our table in our apartment and just kept making and making and making and then trying to find out what I could do where I could join and be a part of and be a part of the community like craft ni and spacecraft and things like just little things like that and it kind of just rolled on from there but it's a really really long journey it feels like to have come to even that point and then from that point to this point has just been mad so can you tell us a bit more about St George's is that how you developed your product ranges okay so I was doing that for I think in total about six and a half years and I absolutely adored it it is such a good place to start a business it requires a huge amount of work 
it really does and it takes up so much of your time and so many people gave me advice to say it will completely tie you down and I thought no it'll be fine it's one day away you kind of come up to that natural kind of enlightenment yourself but it takes time so I would never change the journey that I took and I think it massively launched me to higher points within my career by being there because it's a little shop front it's an amazing opportunity in that respect you get to see people locals that are just time for a cuppa or just to get out of the rain or whatever but then also you are exposed to so many tourists you're exposed to so many other makers there's so many other opportunities then to collaborate and work together but I think being there and the people that I met just per chance like interior designers architects clients that then became and are still our really good friends that would have never have happened without that little shop front and yes it does take up an awful lot of your time even though it's a day a week you kind of start your Monday thinking right what stock do I need to make what orders do I need to record and work on from the previous day so it kind of is quite all-encompassing but I wouldn't change it and I think that it's as much as six and a half years sounds an extraordinarily long time it was fab and I ended up actually for the last year and a half I think year and a bit going down to half time so I only did two Sundays a month which was brilliant because it was the best of both worlds and it was just before I found out I was pregnant but I wanted to do it to try and grow my business in different kind of areas and then I was pregnant and I thought well of course I'm going to spend my time or my weekends with my family at that time when I did decide to cut down I had so much else going on within the rest of my business that I felt that it was a natural progression to kind of not leave it behind but kind of press slight pause and then when Barney came along and you kind of just have a completely different shift and my business has shifted so much over the years of different directions and I kind of try and keep it really tight but you do you kind of go different ways slightly I just realized I don't need to be there anymore and I think it's really really important sometimes to just pave the way for other people because there are so many amazingly talented people in Northern Ireland and in Belfast we are brilliant we are absolutely so incredibly talented and we're not properly kind of shouted about I think enough and I think Mm -hmm. to pave the way and let other people know that they can go in and they can do that and that they can make a living if they work hard enough but I loved every minute like getting up early queuing in your car before kind of things became slightly more kind of organized and sought like concrete uh was awful but you did it and it was good crack and the friends that you make the people that you're you're exposed to and you meet is fabulous like it's such a good place such a good environment but definitely hard work but worth it absolutely worth it and I was lucky at that point to get in because you've seen that now the stalls are like hen's teeth they're really really difficult to get into but I think that's something that would be maybe a really cool thing for the council to look at on a rotational basis or something like that it would be fabulous to let certain bodies of makers or people take over areas at certain times or take over the market or you know even like the way they do the twilight market do something that's dedicated to a certain body of people once a month or whatever something like that because it is such such a good experience to expose yourself and yeah I think I owe it an awful lot because it kind of gave me that little push which was brilliant. Can we talk a little bit about your making processes and even the materials that you use? You're really conscious about all of your product using an Irish linen and there's such a tremendous heritage here. Could you talk a little bit about the history of it as well and why it's important to you to use that? My interest in that started when I was at college and I was researching making these maps. I thought because of where we were, where we're based in Belfast with the shipyard like we were huge for linen industry amongst other things 
at one time, I think it was really important for me to go into that kind of deeper meaning. And I thought you couldn't draw your pieces or embroider onto anything but then it doesn't have quite so much meaning. And I think that the the research that I put into the maps and the, the history that I wanted you to see when you looked at them, I wanted you to see right back into the fact that flax was grown here, the linen was woven here, all of those things. And I think you might not have seen that by looking at it, but you saw that when you read my thesis alongside of what I was displaying. So it's very, very important for me from a sustainability point of view, but also I think it's really important to be really genuine as a maker. I think you and I have talked about this a little bit before, Robin. There needs to be like really solid honest and genuine bones to what you do because if you do not have that within your practice it won't last I mean I can only speak for myself obviously but I think for me to know where every single piece of what I do and what I make where it comes from and the fact that I can genuinely sit and say this is where it comes from I know these people I've watched this grow I've done x y and z and if I don't know where I find it out I go and I find it out and I make those connections because then I think for me when you have that real genuine rooted honesty you can sell it or you don't really even need to sell it because people buy that honesty and then you know obviously it needs to look well and be made well and but I think that before all of that it has to come from somewhere and uh, that's why then last year like a maniac decided to plant my own flax field (laughs) because I thought I've seen and been involved in all of these little processes through the people that I work with and my colleagues who are like just the best people and they're you know like family to me now but I thought I need to know how from start to finish that was my kind of plan but then I was pulling flax nine months pregnant which isn't ideal. Um, So I plan to then, depending on what way we're allowed to be with social distancing, I plan to pick up the the process kind of from August, September this year. Um, And I have the flax in my studio here, the dried flax, which can be used and processed further at any time. I have some really good friends and some colleagues that will allow me to be involved at the other stages. But I think it's just to be genuinely embedded in that kind of ethos from the start you have to be because if you aren't you'll just get distracted by something else and maybe that's to your fault too maybe you can be sometimes maybe too precious but I think that for me it works and it keeps me on a narrow a nice narrow path because I think from a creative point of view you want to go way off and do all of these lovely things but sometimes to keep you grounded and driven and running a business that can pay you a wage and so it's very very nice that because you do get asked you get asked a lot of things but you get asked you know can you embroider this on my blanket or can you embroider this on my bed clothes or you know and you can of course anything's possible but that is not what I do and I think to keep it it also then helps you have a really really solid USP and I think that's important too because then even though I don't know what to describe myself as, as I said earlier, Gemma, um, I do know what I am about and I do know what I want to do and the message that I want to get across sometimes doesn't maybe always just roll off the tongue as one phrase, but I think if you keep really, really tight to what you do, it's it's quite important. And my linen is all grown locally and dyed locally, woven locally, all of that. And I'm really, really precious about that. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to just have 
a relationship with all of those people and they are like my family now and it's tough during this time that you can't just go and see yeah. them but yeah. uh, we do keep in touch and it's fab stuff just arrives in the post and it's beautiful which is lovely but yeah it's uh, I do miss visiting the mill and things like that but it's just so important for me and even not just the linen all of the other things if I can't source them here I source them within the UK it's important too for the economy that you are you're bringing money into our economy which helps everybody but yeah so I think if it's not from Ireland Northern Ireland it's from the UK and I think that's really really important and eventually I would like to to keep it all from here I'm pretty ignorant even on the process of how you transform those tiny little flowers into a cloth. How does that happen? It's a really good question. That's yeah. actually, I'm working on something at the minute. All will be revealed, Ooh. but I can't tell you right now. Um, okay, so like maybe next week. <laughs> but yeah, you plant the seeds. They're like little, the flax seeds. You can have flaxseed on like your cereal. It's yeah, that. They're right. different types, obviously. You don't eat these ones. But yeah, plant your flaxseed and it grows as a tiny little bud. And it grows and it grows and it grows. I mean, mine at one point was, I think the tallest mine was, was about maybe a metre and a half high. And it grows this tiny little beautiful purpley blue flower. And then it closes up into like a, a seed pod head it's like a little ball they're right here beside me but I'll make, I'll make too much noise getting them these big 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 stalks are beaten down and they break away and inside the stalk is a tiny tiny like flax fiber which is like a really kind of like like the color of your hair like a blonde oh, hair <laughs> and they're all then spun together into a yarn that then is woven into linen and then can be dyed and the yarn can be dyed first and then it can be woven. That's a really, really non-expert descript- <laughs> quick description of the process. But yeah, it's basically the fibre comes from the really long stalks. The The way you get it out is that you cut, you can you scotch it. So you beat a massive, it's really hard when I can't show you, um, you yeah. <laughs> like a massive kind of handful of them and you put it through a scutcher, which is a huge blade and a piece of timber that goes round and round and it kind of, beats all of the hard outer crusty shell off then you can you kind of oh God, I can't remember what the name for the brushing of it is but you get the rest of it all out but there's so many more processes so once it's pulled which is what I did and it's dried it's then redded which softens the kind of the crust around the um around the stalk and the stem and redding is just in a dam it can be done in a barrel depending on the amount you have but they just dig a big hole and they put it all in and it basically is left to rot ret is rot it all breaks up and it's very smelly and it's like compost but then when it comes out it's very 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 soft and then it's scotched into all of these fibers which is like this really really it's like a coarse hair and it's blonde and then it's uh matted down and then spun so it's very it's very lengthy process but it's actually really really fascinating to watch and to see all of those phases because then i think when you look at a final piece that you have you justify the money that you've spent on it, the effort that you've put into it. And then again, you can tell people about that. So it's not just here's this thing that I've made or here's this thing that I've bought and I'm trying to sell to you. Like, yeah, I, I kind of get myself quite bedded into that uh, that process. But I will, I'm actually working on a piece at the minute that is kind of like the conclusion of what I went 
through last year growing my own flax at the same time as growing my own human (laughs) so I kind of made this piece to celebrate kind of a year of what I decided to start but haven't quite finished yet and that kind of celebrates it so I think I might do some sort of piece like write a blog post or maybe just do some pieces shorter pieces online to to explain kind of the process and then the outcome which is this piece which is kind of like a celebration of the flax flower and again it's a Belfast flax flower because no one grows flax in Belfast and no one has done for a long time so I decided yeah I would just do it up the back garden Mm-hmm. And I've been told I'm never allowed to do it again. So uh, that was the one time only, uh, unless I can sneaky plant some more another time. But yeah, I'd get in big trouble. I think that explains the kind of long journey. Uh, so do you get much out of it then? I mean, in terms of like the quantity, how much of the flax do you need? Do you get a big return for that strand that's inside it? Or I planted oh, a very small area, maybe like two by three four meters or two by five like very 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 small and the yarn that you would get off that would probably not even get you half a tea towel like tiny absolutely tiny so the the whole point was for me was to just learn the process and even if I came away with like a tiny kind of say post-it notepad size of it it didn't matter I just wanted to know that that I had done and experienced that whole kind of journey. So it does take an awful lot. The flowers are just, sounds bad to say, but they're just like, the you don't use them for anything. They're like, not yeah, a byproduct, okay. but they, the flax plant flowers for less than 24 hours. Oh, wow. So, which is so beautiful because they're so delicate. They continually flower for a number of weeks. Each one only flowers for less than 24 hours. And it's so, so nice. But that's just part of like the process of the growing and the kind of the development. And then it goes into like a husk, like a, a little. Can I show you? Can oh, I? yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they're like little, little. husks, really, really hard. And they were the flower and then they close up into this kind of a, a husk. And they, so it's this long. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, that's a good bundle there you see now there was a lot more but when we were kind of trying to dry it out we were drying it out in the middle of getting our garden done and then having like a brand new baby so it started to rest itself so we lost a little bit of it but some of the husks at the very very bottom are very thick so you can Mm -hmm. see where it would come out it's quite it's hollow but then inside Mm -hmm. it's made up of all these little tiny tiny like strands of hair they're the tiniest thinnest pieces so like it would make very very little so it is a really really laborious task but it's actually really beautiful because we were so famous for it and we you like we it was used for everything as with a lot of industry people farm it out to get it done in the most unethical ways and not all of the time but a lot of the time and it ends up of course it's cheaper but it's so much worse quality you don't know where it's come from you don't know who's made it you don't know if it's a child that has made it you don't know whether they're getting paid so a lot of that kind of, I think, influences what I do as well and why I kind of need to be totally involved because there is so much out there where you just don't know where certain things mm-hmm. are coming from, from a sustainability point of view as well, you know, and the carbon footprint as well, to know that it's so close to home and that you can then provide something that you can be so 
honest about the fact that you know that it is not it's not taking a massive amount of energy it's not flying across the world it's still great quality and Irish linen actually a lot of people think oh it creases really badly or of course it creases but proper Irish linen that is made here in Ireland uh, where the flax is grown doesn't crease as badly because it is inherently damp when it's made artificially for example in China with a flax that has been grown in a really really dry climate it's going to crease more because it's not used to the conditions so Irish linen grown and produced in Ireland in damp conditions will not crease as much as other more artificial processes because of the damp went a damp journey kind of like yeah, it's so, a lovely positive spin on our weather. Like, yeah, <laughs> a great benefit. Kind of, but it's, you know, you do, you feel yourself, especially on a day like today, you feel almost like you could grow mold yourself. It is just so dank and damp. But yes, linen grown in this environment here will not crease as badly. And I, like, I mean, the proof's in the pudding when you buy one of like my pieces and it's not because I've never had anyone come back. Oh God, please don't come back now. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had anyone come back and say, oh my goodness, it creases so badly. Yes, you might want to give it a, a nice iron and, you know, fluff your pillows or do whatever, but it doesn't, it doesn't crease as badly as like the linen trousers you'll buy. Well, even the mill that you're working with, there's a mill literally just really close to me as well. And I know there's mills dotted all over the place. They're not in use anymore. And excuse my ignorance, but are there many still working or is it an industry that's still happening at all? Is it something that's being revived? There's a lot that aren't being used. And I think that they're being killed by the fact that a lot of people are going far to get labour for cheaper as well as the end material. Um... People are really trying really hard. There is a small group, which is actually getting bigger. It's growing of people that want to bring it back. They want to revive it. They want to make it better. And it's one thing in saying we want to get this back and we want to bring it back to where it was. And there's another thing in actually being part of, of making that happen. The promotion of it as well is, is a massive thing. There was a Linen Biennale last year that was actually really good in promoting the kind of just like the fact that we are really really I mean we should be proud of where we come from and the fact that Belfast is is so famous for the linen industry and the fact that so much of like the world's best linens were made and produced and sought after and it was huge and we became so well known for that and I think there are the promotion of that and the talking around that and getting other people involved was definitely a really really good step in kind of starting that the people that I work with work very very hard in order to shout about it to the right people and uh try and beaver away in the background to, to work as well because there's you're doing a whole lot of promoting and shouting you're not maybe producing as well so people that I work with produce and send all over the world that helps as well and that helps promote and there's still a massive market for it but people want it and people are prepared to spend maybe the little bit of extra money that it might cost because of the the lengthy process and the fact that it's from here there's definitely a want for the revival and a need for the revival but I think also honestly for me is there's a definite fear that someday it might not come to fruition or it might just die altogether but I will do my best and and people that I work with certainly will as well to make sure that we shout about it enough and we work hard enough to keep it as alive as we can but I think the fact that the people that I work with I hope I'm allowed to say this they sell linen to Savile Row they send all over the world they weave for Game of Thrones they bring it on the bus down to the town cycle out to the shipyard and bring it like they're so unbelievably passionate sustainable 
basically walk the linen to the studios you know all of those things are really really important to them you know um supporting small businesses as well is is hugely important to them too they grow flax in the field beside them and they also get heavily involved with other people who do the same thing that are dotted about the country so yeah a definite passion for it to be there and i think just with the hard work hopefully we'll continue to to get there well you mentioned about the linen biennale i know you had some beautiful work in there could you tell us a bit about that experience and how that came about they put like a call out for you to submit kind of ideas for different things and I got involved in a few different capacities. It was strange because I don't think anyone at the start knew what they wanted it to be and it was kind of a good thing as well as kind of maybe a slightly confusing thing. It was brilliant to be a part of and it was brilliant to be a part of lots of those different things because it pushed you out of your comfort zone. I had some pieces in an exhibition that was going on then I also had there was a shop called Linenopolis which I was asked to be a part of which was just a normal kind of retail environment so it was just my usual really really amazing spot for the shop in Bedford Street so a lovely shop front and a lovely location within the city and that was just fab really really nice surrounded by lots of other different makers that were involved in that kind of side of things the exhibition I took part in I had submitted it was in Portaferry I had made actually I decided to make a piece specifically because again it was something I thought this is an opportunity to push you kind of outside of your comfort zone. I decided to make a map and I'd done one piece like this before. And again, it was kind of an experimental piece, but I had done it. I had made it of Dublin and I don't know why. I just decided, right, I'm going to do something to celebrate the linen biennale, the linen industry within Belfast. So I made a map which I titled 1900 and now. So the base of the map, which was the first map, was like a figure ground plan of 1900, Belfast 1900, the city centre, and it highlighted the linen mills. And they all kind of took, if you ever see uh, a map of that kind of time, they take like a pattern along the river because they use the water for production. So you can see like a, a sweeping pattern of how they kind of fit within your city. I then did a map of now which was 2019 on top which kind of was suspended which actually showed the roads and the the way that the city is planned out is still kind of loosely even though the river isn't there anymore still loosely flows that way from like the falls road down into the city and you can see it when you have them graphically beside each other but i then embroidered onto invisible thread the waterways and the linen mills which sat really really strange don't know how i ever discovered how to do it it's really so it ends up being like a net i embroidered heavily then like fill where all the little mills would be and then the waterways and then it comes out as this really strange piece and then i set it on top and fixed it at certain points on the map so it sits quite like a quite of a relief and you can see then like movement of the water and that was kind of to show where our city had come from and that the pattern still kind of flows albeit slightly differently and yeah that displayed amongst the most beautiful pieces in Portaferry the little exhibition space above their tourist board which is just so beautiful and it was a really really beautiful exhibition and a really amazing piece but I it sold before the exhibition opened so oh, wow. which, 
so I miss it. Yeah. <laughs> um, because lots of photographs. But yeah, really, really lovely kind of labour of love. And it was really, really nice. And obviously it's lovely when someone invests into something like that as heavily as you have done. But then the last thing that I did for the Biennale was I made a piece that sat within their fashion show. So it goes, it's sort of nothing that I've ever really done before. I've always kind of had a bit of an interest in making garments and have kind of dabbled in bits and pieces uh, in the past but I decided that I wanted to try and do something totally different and totally out there and again decided to sort of celebrate this really great thing that was happening for our city and the promotion of kind of our linen industry so I wanted to make a piece that kind of from a sort of really conceptual point of view was like a like a shelter or wrap something that kind of made you feel safe kind of kind of homes back to the kind of architecture of place and home and shelter but also that this functional piece that could be like throw or a shawl but a scarf that went round you but I wanted to be zero waste cut from one piece so no seams and I don't know why I went down that route I just wanted I think I thought let's keep it really really simple but actually you have to think really really complicatedly to get that simplicity and often the most simple things are the things that you've had to really really kind of almost drive yourself mad over so I set about making it ended up being three patterns one piece was came over your shoulders draped up sort of almost like a shield or a shawl solid at the back and came over your shoulders and then draped back up on itself to make pockets I embroidered the pockets so I still wanted there to be that kind of embroidery element uh, but I used patterns like my from my architectural patterns range I felt that they just kind of sat better with those the second piece was again same idea but one piece that came over was a huge long piece that then was a scarf and that kept it on and then the third piece was the same but slightly shorter piece that you would might wear. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at them here with their hung up. <laughs> so it was a really lovely thing to do. Again, like a massive, massive amount of time and a massive amount of effort. But it actually felt really good to just do something completely different. And the fashion show was held in Prony, the public record office in Belfast, which is a really beautiful space. And as the fashion show went on, there's a little piece, like a little lovely breakout space to the side where... These were on display along with some other pieces, sort of local makers, uh, some other makers from all over the place. There's Maria Cardenas from Venezuela, uses Irish linen to make the most beautiful clothing, really simple, really beautiful clothing. So there's some of her pieces. There was a guy called George Brugner, I think I'm pronouncing his surname properly. He did like an internship with William Clark and he made some beautiful shirts and jackets and his stuff was on, on display. And then... Chris Tyndall, who runs Loft, his Belfast jacket was on display. Uh, So it was really nice to be kind of surrounded by all these really amazingly talented people. But I felt a little bit like an imposter because it wasn't really what I did. But it was really nice to kind of to push myself that way. So in terms of the Linen Biennale, it was it was lovely to be involved in a massive branch of different things they ran loads of different talks and workshops and events and it was great to attend those over the time and you kind of it becomes like a little community and I think they're having another one next year they did put the call out for more things when I was on maternity leave but I didn't submit anything but I think they may do another call I think maybe at the time now there might be a slight delay and so there may be another yeah. opportunity but if not it might be quite nice to 
take part as a spectator and you know rather than from like a different point of view so yeah i think there's plenty of people doing really really positive things for that side of things for belfast as well and northern ireland which is great so it's really obvious that the ethics and the sustainability factor in your practice is really important to you and even whenever you look onto your social media you are very transparent but also so authentic and I think that's refreshing to see you're really easy to engage with just you kind of feel like whenever you're following you it's you you know people are buying into you but your beautiful products as well and even recently you done this wonderful fundraising for the NHS you developed this project of embroidered rainbows onto your Irish linen could you talk to us a little bit about that how it came about that's so kind thank you so much to say that because I almost a lot of the time feel that I overshare I mean you probably don't need to say a lot of what my dogs get up to and my baby me as I am now completely like frazzled and all the rest of it but yeah I kind of think that that's important to be it's important to be like that and I kind of yeah I maybe overshare a bit but uh, yeah so the rainbows I it came about so so randomly the houses on either side of us have both got young children and they have had rainbows in their front window and they were beautifully painted next door one way has three kids so it was their three different rainbows side by side and then the other little girl next door had hers up and I just thought we don't have like paints and paper thank god we're not (laughs) at that point yet (laughs) but yeah I'm looking forward to it but not so much for the blade onto the walls and surfaces of my house I thought right okay so I think I need to make a rainbow you know for Barney we have paper I don't even think I have like coloring pencils nothing like that so I thought right well I have some colored threads so I will draw a little rainbow and I will make him a rainbow and I also then thought too I have some lovely orange which is really bright really colorful I will do it on that it'll stand out in the window and I made it and didn't back it it was just hemmed I find a stick on our walk one day that I lifted. So made a little loop top, put a stick and tied some string, like the normal string that I would tie your, uh, it's like grey twine that I would tie like your pin when you buy a cushion onto with or something like really, really simple. Just the stuff lying about. I think I put it on my Instagram, I put it on my Instagram stories. People went mad, like absolutely bonkers. And I do have a huge kind of engagement and a relationship with people on Instagram and it's brilliant it's really good fun it's really good crack and I do get a lot from that you know both kind of work-wise and then personally too like it's just it's just so much fun I got absolutely inundated and it was for a couple of days and it went beyond the kind of you know the hard eyes that you would send people or you know that looks really nice and it was like you know we want these we want these so then I was like right it's not at all architectural so that that goes off my little strict path but then what we're going through isn't at all normal or on our normal kind of life path I thought well maybe it would be a really nice thing to raise some money for our like local NHS I haven't done much research into it I had to make like a really quick decision because you didn't know how long this was going to last and I sort of thought right I'm going to do it but I'm going to give money to charity and I thought from the kind of sheer numbers of response that I got and then I did a poll when I was kind of thinking I did one of those little Instagram polls not that you can really heavily rely on those but I thought right from that I could make money here for people that they could use it for something like these people are doing everything they can for us so let's do something if I can yeah I just decided then I had to work it out as I went along so I had this kind of commitment that I made I photographed the one I made for Barney's room slightly better and put it online and it was a made the order basis and I think I put it up first thing in the morning or but like five hours or five and a half hours later I had to stop 
I had to put them out of stock because I was never going to be able to do this myself, yeah. fulfill this myself. And again, the time, I didn't know how long this was going to last. And I thought to myself, I need to do, I need to kind of be realistic here. And it actually just so happened that my husband had been furloughed at the time. So I was able to, we're sharing the childcare at the minute, but I was able to then work full time. Um, he was furloughed for two weeks. So I was able to work completely solidly for two weeks and when I mean solid it's like weekends or wedding anniversary everything you know but it was just that's just what kind of I decided you know you committed to do and I have a girl that works for me and helps me with like some construction and sewing zips and things like that so I contacted her when the numbers were so high and asked was there any way I could help she lives very close I was able to drop at her door able to pick up at her door you know very safely and things like that so she had said yes and she had also said as you're doing it for nothing you're putting all your profits I'm also going to do it for nothing which is just amazing and I love her and she's very talented also very shy but very very talented and an amazing amazing woman I decided I would make them out of the remainder of the fabric that I had then I found a little bit extra so I was able to pick the last kind of I think it was 14 in the end I was able to kind of manage to get out of this random rectangle that I found so I was able to sell those then again at the kind of last minute and I think they sold out in something like 15 17 minutes something random like that and even now I don't know how many weeks later I get messages like every day (laughs) what about the rainbows what about the rainbows um so yeah and it was great to just be able to raise that and I know it's not a huge amount but it was nice and it went to the Belfast Trust to their just giving page and I know that that goes to help like staff and helps areas where they don't necessarily get a lot of funding for so I think it's a really nice thing to do and I think it's actually now that you brought that up actually it's reminded me I would really like to do something a thread to my business going forward possibly charity based because you don't really think about these things which is really naive and you're in a kind of a little life bubble but I think it's really important to kind of if you can do it to try and help in some sort of a way and I think that people are really really happy to support that kind of thing and I learned an awful lot about different local charities when I was researching the NHS ones so I think in future I have a little bit of an idea going on in the background I would want it to remain a more architectural thread than a rainbow even though I love it and it's in it's out of the window but it's in still up in his room so I've got some ideas of how to do that going forward and I think it would be nice to try and raise a little bit of money and maybe something that was just ongoing as a permanent thing you maybe you maybe donated once a year or twice a year or something like that so I am still in the process of letting that work itself out in in my head but it was a really really nice thing and it was a bit of an eye-opener too because I think a lot of people were struggling and some of the messages that I got you know this will really really brighten up you know our time our clap or you know the kids room you know it's lovely and that that kind of thing you know it brings it home because I think there's been massive positives and negatives to this this whole time um and some really real brilliant highs and really awful lows and it's hard to kind of place what happens or it, it is quite difficult so it was a really really nice little burst of high and then I just got it done and dusted apart from the kind of few extra when my husband then starting back to his slightly fractured week at the minute because of the childcare but yes what I think it it, it happened for a reason and the fact that he then was furloughed at that for that short period meant that then I could take up and and do that and and it was nice to just be able to do something small but I can't really take any credit because 
you guys all bought them so <laughs> everybody bought them and that's what raised the money and thank you to everybody if anybody's going to be listening yeah it's it's uh it was a definite vein off that has made me think about certain things going forward so you're yeah. so humble you Absolutely. you said it wasn't a massive amount you raised over two thousand pounds that is incredible <laughs> well, well the girl i'll tell you a really funny story the girl in the post office so i have i'm sure you guys do too like a drop and go account so yeah you just fill your bag and drop it in with them and so i obviously know the post and i'll not tell you where my post office is just in case and i doubt the girl will be listening she said to me i do i go now obviously with what's going on at the minute i only go once a week but i was there like maybe two or three times a week sort of in normal times so i actually was still going once a week in during rainbow time but i was going with like two sacks or one big bin bag or something like that and she says you know oh you're very busy at the minute aren't you you know you're very busy and I was like yeah and then I sort of briefly told her and she said, so that's brilliant well you'll never be Captain Tom will you <laughs> I was like oh can I yeah I didn't know what to say or kind of how to how to take it and then I think he became he's not captain anymore he's like is he major or something so he got he got kind of knighted or yeah. excuse my naivety but he stepped up a grade anyway between <laughs> two of my two of my trips to the post office and uh so the next time I was going with the last drop and I said so oh, these is the last these are the last of them these are the last of them and I'd shown her a little photo behind the screen and stuff and she says oh why did you bother you know you'll never make as much money as him <laughs> and I just thought what? and I was like well no that's not really the point but um yeah but I can't I can't take credit it is everybody that has bought them and was kind enough to invest in because they inv- I think they invest in you as a person yeah. in your place as well as your product and then you know once when, when you bring out something new and people and people want it it's, it's a nice thing as well so you have that kind of architectural language and even you can see it in your embroidery as well there's those mechanical drawings and the drawings of you know that's very familiar in the architecture sense and how you translate those onto all of your products like you have quite a great product range you know it spans from your maps to your cushions pouches your sachets and even to local commissions and things that you would do how do you feel about those things do you prefer working towards your product range or whenever you're working with a client on a private commission what would you say is the most exciting aspect of that of the making process for those I love what I do so much like I'm so incredibly lucky to do what I do and I love my kind of classic range as I call it so I think the more that you do you guys don't know the more that you make what you do every day so say Belfast Skyline or a Georgian door the better you get at it the more refined it becomes the more that you can sort niggles out and things like that so I really really enjoy that because that's something that I see as all it's never kind of the same yes it's the same as I said like it hasn't changed but the way I look at it and the way I approach it can sometimes be different over time so I do love that aspect in that process but I think I'm making new pieces so when I get the time to kind of go in and make a new design that I'm going to launch as like part of the classic collection I get really excited by that but I think my absolute favorite thing to do apart from bring out little new things that I'm talking about like hopefully launching in the next couple of weeks to celebrate the flax my absolute favorite thing to do my bespoke work I just love to do I love to work really closely with clients I when they sent me photos of their homes some of the houses that people live in are just beyond even like imagination 
I've just sent one off. I actually checked before I got the call from you guys and it arrived yesterday. It's amazing. Like the most stunning, stunning home. And it's weird. It's just so hard to get your head around the fact that this, and they found me at St. George's Market a couple of years ago. And it's so hard to believe that like you're just sitting and you used to be sitting in your dining room table with this little sewing machine that my then boyfriend my husband bought me for christmas i think it was that you were just like motoring away on this little brother sewing machine like whiz 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 and then you skip i don't know how many millions of years forward and there's people like this approaching you and like it's 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 insane and that's my favorite aspect because it's really exciting and there's like so many things I don't know who, the, who these people are or what they do for a living or anything, but I just know they have a beautiful home. And I they don't have to be... Some of the places that you're asked to draw are just so incredible, like the most beautiful row of terrace houses or some really, really beautiful houses across the water in those like really old English towns, like some just so full of character, down to really, really minimal architect designed. And I have done... I have had the opportunity again, like it just... I just don't even know how these people have found me or if they have why they asked me but I have done work for people that I've had to sign NDAs and I'm not allowed to ever tell anybody that I've done work for them and I'm not allowed to photograph them and wow not allowed to photograph the finished process I photograph like my process quite a lot because I think that that helps me make it better going forward and even though you're never going to create that piece again you're going to use certain techniques and certain like thread tensions and things like that so I had to explain that and that was back and forward back and forward so then you're not allowed to photograph the final piece but then they invite you to visit it which is just (laughs) insane and uh, so things like that and people that you know that you meet and that has all come back off the back of St George's going back to how great of like a boost on a sort of a springboard that was so I think that the bespoke aspect and I mean it doesn't matter what it is and people say you know but but will it work will it work and in the most normal looking of buildings or houses or doors or churches or anything right up until the most like the most insane looking things like crazy crazy buildings they just work because I think that you can make there's a way to draw something for it to be seen I think when an architect draws or designs sorry something they you kind of think about how it's going to be made and I know a lot of people can't really they do, if you're not in that kind of mindset or training you don't think that yeah. way but if you draw anything or design anything with it in the back of your head of how it's going to be made or how it's going to be carried out then I think it inherently is beautiful it becomes beautiful and, and you you're designing then like kind of beautiful bones so when I draw a pattern for a bespoke client it's all about the bones of it being like something really beautiful that works and you know people say oh but I don't live in a really pretty house or I don't but but you chose to be there for a reason and that's why and and it is beautiful and it is specific to you and it's there's that connection and that again coming back to that sense of place and that sense of home and that's what I love to do with people it's really lovely and even people ask churches for wedding presents or anniversary gifts or hotels and drawing a castle at the minute which is insane it's lovely and where else have I done that I'm trying to think of there's another one that I can't I'm not allowed to talk about it's so weird isn't it so 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 weird (laughs) I'm Um, so curious I'm not gonna lie oh there's a job that I'm doing at the minute that it was my very first kind of job 
post maternity leave and I went to, it was just before lockdown but there was kind of talks of the virus so like we didn't know whether to shake hands or what to do and we were in this tiny meeting room and I was freaking out and I phoned my husband afterwards and I was like oh my god like there was like six of us in this tiny room and like what if we breathed on each other and what it, like you know but awful but yeah so there was still the talkings of it but nothing there was no talk of lockdown or anything I think it was at the time where Italy was kind of just starting to yeah. become quite serious and uh so I was going to this interview with all these lovely pretty things that I bring that you can touch and you can experience because that's so important but I didn't really know what I was doing and you kind of lose a little bit of confidence but then that piece is for a charity and they have got new premises so they are wanting like a kind of a showcase piece and they're very very heavily bedded in the linen industry kind of by default because of where they were based and where they are now going to be based uh, when they move uh, that meeting went really really well and then I found out the next day I think it was that I got that job so I'm working on that at the minute too which is lovely because I'm drawing between elevations and maps and then I'm thinking about 3D as I talked about before as well so Definitely, definitely bespoke. I don't know if I ever thought that my business would take that turn, but I think more so at the minute, especially during the, this year, which has been very, very surreal. But this year has definitely so far been like a very heavily bespoke time. Like a, a lot of people are just wanting to invest in those pieces, which is lovely. And it's really, really nice little bits of free time that I let my kind of mind have. Then I can launch these different new bits and pieces and do little limited edition things as well but uh i think sorry very long-winded answer but you're yeah bespoke for me because you get to work with people and i do like i i didn't have skype before today <laughs> um so uh you know but that's because i don't really i love to meet people i want to see you to your face which obviously then is why this is a bit of a struggle but i work alone but I love to work alone. I love that the dogs sit in the corner. I'm on my own. I listen to podcasts. Like, it's great. I really, really love that. But it's really lovely to to get out and meet people and see what they want to do and what they think of. And that's why St. George's Market was great. Because across that table, you can just have these lovely interactions. And that's where these relationships begin. But I think creating a relationship with someone and them getting you enough to to want to even start discussions about investing in a piece is just lovely and I think that that's where I would like things to keep going but I also don't think that you can in any way force that you just have to let that happen so I have plenty of other pieces that I'm working on that will be kind of more of my classic standard architectural Deborah Toner but I love to see the next commission inquiry come in because it's so lovely to to see what people are thinking you know because they see your work and they think oh, and it, it kind of puts a little spark and it's nice to kind of work with people in that respect, so. I find that really stressful, actually. Anything has to be custom or whatever. It's, that really does mess with my head. It's all those questions of what yeah. if, what if. It just, it I get myself up by it. I think it takes a while because you constantly panic and even now you're like, what if they don't like it? What if they don't, you know, and there's processes that you go through in order to let them be with you the whole way through but it is it is scary like what if a drawing a drawing does not definitely translate into an embroidery so there's like oh you know always that slight panic but and then it is too true because as well it's very stressful not so much anymore but the what you get asked to do is 
insane. Some absolutely hilarious requests, like over the years. My goodness me, like I think I got. It starts at about like it always used to be animals, which is such a cool thing. Like dog, imagine dog range, amazing. Oh. I'm all over the dogs, of course, as you guys know. But I would, yeah, it's just not. It doesn't fit with my what I do. I have to be very strict with that. But you get a lot of dog animal based requests, or I used to anyway, and that used to stress me out a lot because I didn't know how to then explain that what I did was a certain way and not that way and some really really insane like someone wanted his wife's face (laughs) on a cushion and some like random just random 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 things and I think I was actually at uh, Castle Ward when I was asked for something really random and Shannon McShane was beside me Mm -hmm. and I think she just watched my kind of how I dealt with the situation and she just sat and laughed because she was in shock, so much shock. But I was like, what <laughs> about what I have here with me depicts that that's a, an okay question to ask. But I know like it's it's totally fine. And I think it really helps you. Things like that really help you place yourself. And they really help you somehow find what your USP is because it's it's sometimes just really bonkers. But I really then it makes me check myself before I would ask somebody that I was buying off a ridiculous question. Yeah. potentially a ridiculous question because you you know that you get but I look I I do welcome it you know and sometimes it, it most of the time it does end up just being like a funny kind of quite jovial situation but again that's St George's Market could be was rife for that and a lot of people who got quite angry that if you didn't want to do what they were asking and Ooh. you know you put yourself in quite a vulnerable position yeah. but yeah it does I think if you take a positive from it it helps you figure out what you definitely don't do mm-hmm. so if it stresses you out not what I do and that's yeah. a, that takes time I think for it definitely took time for me to be able to confidently say no <laughs> no no way but. and so you've done bits for exhibitions and things like that I know you've uh were you take part in tactility back then? yes mm-hmm. do you ever apply for funding for those exhibition pieces or how did that come about so I worked for Tactility Factory, which was amazing. I loved it because it was uh, it was like architecture and textiles. So Ruth Morrow was the architect and she taught me in my first year at Architecture at Ulster. And Trish Belford was the printmaker, textiles extraordinaire. And the joke was that they had a baby and it was me. <laughs> so and that is basically what like not literally but basically what happened and so we worked so amazingly together and it was just the most fun time and I know that we as Tactility Factory relied heavily on funding so they got funding in order to be able to employ me and we created a new range and Invest and I helped us go on trade missions and to sell the pieces and things like that that was for me just something that I Oh, it was just amazing it was just so so good and it was such a good opportunity but I ended up making the really difficult decision to leave because my business I was still running my business beside it and it was getting to the point that it just was one was clashing with the other and I kind of thought I built my business to such a point that I could never let it go and it killed me and oh, it still does but I still keep in touch with Ruth and Trish and it was hard I just I just it was really really difficult and I just had to kind of say look 
you've come this far with your business you need to concentrate on on the one thing and it was the best decision I could have made and I did it was really hard but in terms of for my business I have never received funding I've I've never applied for funding I mean for many reasons firstly I think there is not very much funding available you guys will also know that but I think too it is out there if you want to find it sort of a kind of a slight contradiction there I fall under quite a strange category I think like quite quite a strange blanket it's not as common as to be say for example getting a kiln or getting like a mm-hmm. piece of equipment that is kind of more well known so I had a man amount of money in my head that I knew that I needed for the machine that I wanted and anything else that was more generalized in terms of funding or opportunity for funding was just a very very small drop in the ocean for what I needed I was going right down the route of I need to get a bank loan and it comes from the fact that I've probably always had to be very very commercial it also comes off the back of working with Trish Belford is brilliant because she has a very 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 commercial mind and as well as extraordinarily creative and talented so she always kind of embedded it in the back of my mind or strengthened it I suppose it was always there but she kind of came along at a good time to help me strengthen that that you know it needs to sell you need to sell so and it's not for me all about sell 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 because I don't think that works it doesn't work when I'm looking to buy something so I think it's quite a strange one I just sort of thought to myself if I spend all of this time trawling the internet to try and find how I could receive funding or where I could get funding I could be making or promoting or connecting with someone and I could be selling or you know working on a website that would sell or you know so things like that and I know that it's it's maybe not a very positive thing but for me it has worked and I know that it's worked differently for others like I know you for you guys it's been great it is also really tough because you're like one in a little in a massive pond you're a little person in a massive pond waiting up for you know to know whether you can get this money I just think commercially I've had to just work and make it work I think also my dad before he retired was a bank manager for a very long time and he said this to me years and years ago and actually Trish also said the same thing which I've all it's sort of words to live by what are you going to do in year two you get the money and it's in your pot for now but what happens next year when you don't get the pot of money and if you don't kind of make that work for you successfully which not very many people are able to do and I think there's a problem with funding when it comes to that to the small amount I know and the small amount of experience that I have that if you're not properly guided and it's hard it's difficult for these people giving this to to be able to know exactly what your niche is and exactly where you are and where you're coming from and where you want to be because sometimes you don't always know the answers to those questions so when you get this pot of money if you don't spend it wisely or the right way if there is a right way at that time for you you're not going to have the money in year two and you're not going to necessarily be given it again so what do you do in year two is kind of a, a bank manager's response and I kind of think that that's always in my head so instead of waiting to find out I just worked and worked and worked and worked and it's paid off which is great I'm paying my loan off and that's great but it's not always that easy either because you have to prove it's very difficult for businesses it's very difficult for like artistic creative businesses because they just look at you and think they'll give any amount of money in the world to somebody with a real job as I call it but it's very hard to show where you'll be 
in a number of years time unless you can go walk in and say I'm a doctor I'm an architect I'm a... but yeah so it's it's difficult but I just think that that was always instilled in me and that means that I kind of did it that way but it is out there and it, it is worth kind of trying to get if that's what you need and it's hard as well too to to be commercial because I think that you've got to be commercial with the products that you sell and put forward to sell but you've also got to be commercial with where you choose to be and choose to place your products and I think that my commerciality was helped lots with St George's Market because I was able to sell small bread and butter pieces as we would call it but then it's about the marketing and getting yourself out there and getting that pool of people who are willing to then maybe spend a little bit more money and and that's how it goes so it's hard to place yourself commercially as well as have the time to constantly think commercially but I think coming from an architecture background where I did do a degree that I was going to have a real job out of made me think that I had to prove myself and I had to work and work and work to prove that the job that I had was just as good if not better than the job that I would have got with my degree I tried to get a job as an architect and I did work as an architect for a time part one but yeah, I think a lot of that drive and determination came from the fact that I felt that I needed to prove to probably more myself now looking back on it, but to my family, to my friends, to my partner, my husband, you know, I am just as good, even though I am not using this degree. And that's kind of sad when you look back on it, because it's, you are conditioned to think that you need to work in what you studied to be but in actual fact I still wouldn't change if I knew that I wasn't going to work as an architect I wouldn't change the journey that I've taken because I think it makes you who you are so yeah I think funding there's not very much of it but it is it is out there I just think that I kind of always had that in the back of my mind like what are you doing year two and I think that scared me off because I thought oh god in year two it'll all be gone what do I do you know and that's you know, I think maybe that's like the sensible bank manager's daughter in me. Mm. He'd love me to, yeah, he'd love me to be more sensible. But <laughs> yeah. So could you describe your studio? Because from pictures on Instagram, it looks incredible and it's such a, a unique setup to have. Could you oh. talk us through that a bit? It's a mess for a start. So it is a little kind of shadio, kind of timber shadio i love that shadio um <laughs> yes. so it's yeah and it's kind of like i kind of describe it as like my mind exploded onto the walls because as i showed you guys earlier well as you can see over my shoulders but i just have everything like we that's pinned to the wall you know like a few phone numbers a few like dimensions of things that i make all of the time or sequences or you know oh, those have to be that width and pinned here and samples and it's mainly I've got one little tiny tiny long strip window which I have like flags of linen across to keep the sun out which I mean I could if only I knew someone that could make me a blind (laughs) (laughs) I need to make a blind yes I kind of have zoned it off into areas so I've got like a an area where I made an ironing board on wheels so it's like two Ikea shelves on casters with a big board on the top and so the storage and it's at a nice height you know for you to be able to work it slightly higher and then I have my large industrial machine I have some hanging space and then I have a larger table on wheels behind me here which is the same thing only it's just a little bit more raised up which I do stretching on so I you know you soak the carpet tiles there's carpet tiles on the top and you do stretching um which is what you have to do with all the pieces to make them really like kind of paper flat and then I have loads of storage which to me 
through my eye looks really, really good. And then when I see it on the screen, it is not good. Um, but yeah, it's just an awful lot of the stuff that I've got going on. But I, I really love it. I really feel like it's kind of my little space and it's hard. It's in the middle of my garden, which is lovely too, because in usually in the summer, which like not like today, you know, the doors open, you can hear the birds. You've probably still been able to hear the seagulls. Mm which is <laughs> but like you're looking out at the sky through the little window and it's really lovely light and it's just great and it's kind of I used I've only ever worked from like our dining room table or our front bedroom in our last house and it's lovely to have that little space that you kind of close at the end of the day and that's it it's gone and you know it's it's lovely so yeah it's a tip and I could probably I always thought when I was off on maternity I would like do a big gut get it all everything pulled out do a big hoover and a clean and get everything back in but then I kind of forgot that on maternity you had a baby (laughs) so how on earth would you do that now like what so I need to do when we are allowed to have grannies back uh, I need like an afternoon just to to make it a little bit more presentable because I did have a film crew come here a number of years ago when we just were doing work to the house so I was in here and we weren't living in the house and they were filming for a film called like from field to flax and it was to do with like this flax journey that I've talked to you guys about and they came in and they trunged through like the building side and the muck the back wall of our house fell down like two minutes before they arrived oh, and the builder yeah. was like uh do you want me to rebuild it or do you want me to like check you know where you know what should we do and I was like rebuild it like we don't have an option rebuild it so I'm sitting being interviewed for this film going my house is falling down my house is falling down but in that time it was really neat and tidy and lovely and I had a display space up but it's not good it's not good now you've seen I did a quick whiz around and there's loads of storage too like I need I I need to kind of get things sorted from that point of view um but it'll look a little smarter and when I tidy it, you'll know because I'll probably put a photo up because <laughs> I'll be like, hey, look. Um, but yeah, it's I do love it. And it really I, it's a really nice space to be creative in, uh, which is quite, quite nice. Um, I'm not really mad. I'm a bit afraid of color, but you like it's colorful. It's kind of what's inside your mind that you're not totally brave enough to to always bring to fruition. But yeah, lots of little experimenty things. What are you finding being a new mum and a maker and a business owner and doing it all at the same time? And how was maternity leave as well? Like that's being self-employed is such a oh my god, it's difficult journey. Yeah, it is insane. So maternity leave was staggered for me. So being a new mum is insane. Like I never thought I would be a mum ever apart from two franken beans of course um <laughs> but yeah it's really surreal because i think you totally change as a person and i know that's so cliched and i would have rolled my eyes at anyone that i'd heard say that before and i never ever ever had any place in my mind at all for how people do- women do this like oh my god i have no idea no idea at all so i kind of thought oh, it'll be grand everything's grand it'll be totally you know I went through the phase at the start of, oh my God, what am I going to do? This is a disaster. Like, I'll never be able to make it work. Today, and that whole, like, oh my God, I'm brilliant. I'll be able to do it. Powerful. Yay. <laughs> Strong woman. It's really difficult. It's amazing. I think your whole kind of, like, attitude changes because you just know that your concentration is this person, this little mini person. I remember telling one of my friends that I was pregnant. And first of all, she was like, are you okay? 
like, <laughs> and then she said, look, I found it really difficult over my career. Uh, and she said, like, you can't have it all. Like, you can't have it all. And you kind of were like, no, that's such a negative attitude. You know, don't be so silly. But it's not about having it all. Um, it, it's not about having it all. For me, my all is my family. And I have it all because I have my husband and my son and my dogs and we have just a beautiful like really really lovely life and we're incredibly incredibly lucky for that but for me my business is my something you know my family is my all and you can have it all and it is hard work but my something is my business and that makes me who I am and I can never give it up and we'd never give it up I also spoke to a colleague of my husband's just after I had Barney and she said to me when she she's an architect and she had when she had her first son she took a career break for five years and she said to me you know I'm going to take this I, I wanted to take this time and I thought I'm going to live for like 85 ish years what's five years of my life to just invest in this most amazing thing that I have done and I was like she is mental you know <laughs> five years what oh my god and I'm sitting nursing this tiny baby and I was just like she is insane like absolutely not but the more the time goes on I think of course you would do anything to invest in in this amazing life like you and and it's your job it's it's your job and it I very much feel that it is my job I'm not going to give up work by any stretch it's because it is very much a part of me it makes me who I am but I also think that you know being a mum is now part of who I am one influences the other I now find being at work is much easier than being a mum it's respite it's headspace you get you don't always get to kind of have your mind kind of floating away thinking about like what you're going to make or what you're going to do because you're constantly concentrating on where he's got his fingers or what he's doing or what he's got in his mouth or you know that's normal whereas down here in my studio it's kind of that lovely respite and that lovely kind of free space in your head which is nice but I certainly won't work to the capacity I did until he goes to school or nursery or whatever happens because I still have no idea I'm just kind of winging it so yeah he starts to back to daycare in August but it will only be two to three days a week and I will do that and I will make it work until he goes to full-time nursery or school and I think of course it's extraordinarily expensive to send your child to daycare but aside from that I didn't have him to send him off and it's a very short time and people always say you know this time you never get the time back it flies and again you roll your eyes but you don't already he's like climbing on the coffee table on the window ledge launching off the sofa like he can't even walk yet oh my god like pulling the dogs by the tails like all of that there and you're like like we looked at each other the other night and we're like where where is our baby like you know but I think it makes me work more efficiently because there's probably a lot of the time where I would have sat here and just daydreamed and looked at all my bits on the wall and thought about new things I think it makes me think efficiently I think maybe subconsciously things sort themselves out in my head too I worry about a lot less and I kind of know that I need to make it work but also that I if something doesn't work it's not the end of the world you don't beat yourself up you move on and you know that comes with experience too it's very hard to not get completely bogged down by certain things and it's really all-encompassing but I I certainly think that through experience I've just sort of learned that my priority is that I am a really good mum and I am the best mum that I can be but in order to do that I still have to have my business and I still have to be Deborah and I met someone who referred to me oh introduced me as 
the child's names Daddy and such and such as Daddy. And I was like, I'm Deborah, <laughs> even though Barney was there. But I, I was a bit like, this is really strange. So I think I had a massive like identity crisis, I think, when I first had him because I thought like I don't want to be mummy I I want to be mummy but I don't want to be known as mummy and you know I very much wanted to get back to being Deborah as well as being mummy and it's sort of a a, a strange kind of split personality thing but I took August September October off and I was just mummy and he was just the most amazing little little baby and still is even though he's mental (laughs) he's absolutely insane but like I mean do you blame him god he's so cute he's mental but i think after i so i didn't i worked november and december very very loosely like opened the website for classic design pieces and i had a couple of small things that i'd taken on like waiting list type things that i'd taken on that people wanted for christmas in hindsight that was probably not the best thing to do but it was fine and i was able to do like wee bits and pieces in the evening and things uh, once i started to feel kind of back into it and then i took january and february off again just because he was so much fun and i was really enjoying him and i didn't expect i kind of always thought i'll never be that mother i never want time off i'll never go to those baby groups i'll never but you change completely and it's not about you it's it really isn't but i do really love that i can still make this work you know and i will continue to yeah it kind of just becomes an extra extra part of your life an extra dynamic to your life and i mean he is determined to put me in an early grave because he's <laughs> always up to some rubbish like i mean always looking for bold things to do like he is so funny but then my mom's like well deborah look at you like you know <laughs> And it's true. Like, you're just always looking for some shit to be up to. Sorry. My likes. <laughs> you know, and that is like the, you know, and it, it is, it's true. Like, just bold things. And then, like, I mean, Frank's the same. I mean, we'd Frank from a puppy. And he is so badly behaved. So I can't get this one wrong. Like, we have to. I mean, is there puppy school for babies? <laughs> some sort of training um, in order to have him not be absolutely insane. But like, he's a free spirit. I think I like to call it that at the minute, which is how I'm uh, kind of garnering my lack of control. <laughs> but yeah, it's difficult. It's really difficult. But I mean, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. It's life and it's the path that you've been given. And it's certainly not like a bad thing. And I just look at him and I'm like, oh my god you are mine like how did this even happen like he just he just looks like baby photos of me and it's really 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 scary and he's starting to look a little bit like his daddy now and we just find that we stare at him and then the two of us are like what is that like where did we get him you know yeah i love being up here and i love being deborah and i love can you hear frank bark (laughs) he's barking at the seagulls in the rain yeah I I just love being I love being me as well but I love that I have been lucky enough to have that extra kind of dynamic to my life and I I am very very lucky that I that I have him and we are very lucky so yeah and that not having it all scared me because I thought I don't want it all, but I want to be able to have that option of, you know, wanting to have what I want to have. And not everybody's lucky enough to do that. And But it's not, a, you, you slowly kind of figure out that it's not about having all. It's, you've already got all. You've already got your all. I'm just really incredibly lucky to have something as well that has seen me like so well. And yeah, it's great to have a job that you kind of bounce out of bed in the morning and you're like, uh, here you go, take him. I'm going to work. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. 
So you say that you obviously use your practice as a wee bit of an escapism. What would you do to unwind then? What's your go-to thing to do? Probably at the minute work. And my friend actually said to me when I was trying to do bits for Christmas last year, you know, Deborah, this, you know, she's a doctor and she's a mummy as well. She was like, Deborah, new mum, like you've got to look after yourself and you've got, to, you know, I'm really worried about you, you know. And I totally, that was her like very caring best friend mode but also doctor mode but I actually didn't understand because she doesn't see her work as like an escapism because well it can't be so I very much was like oh my god but my work sitting up here and like sewing away with like music on or podcasts on like so work is a massive escape for me because it helps you realize that you are still you as well I listen to podcasts but they're like it's gonna sound so grim it's gonna make me out to be so mad but I listen to like crime like true crime stuff or god i'm trying to think of certain ones there's some really amazing ones but they're really some of them are really really gruesome and some Mm -hmm. i can't listen to like some that are about like children and so i just can't listen Mm -hmm. to and they always Mm -hmm. do like a little warning at the start so that's good but my husband's like what is wrong with you like serial (laughs) killer but i just love it i think it's a massive like escapism you're not really totally there but it's just like a noise in the background i actually find music i used to listen to the radio but i think that's like a sign of age that like the music was just killing me like and that which reminds me of like what my dad would have said when we were younger (laughs) but I just stick whatever radio is just like on and then I find it quite difficult to music is brilliant because you don't actually know the time it's like great whereas a podcast you know lasts like an hour you know so then you're kind of you kind of know you've got like more of a grasp on time and I find I get a lot more done when I listen to music so I would just stick like anything on like Prince album I think it was like Tina Turner you know so you kind of find yourself dancing and then you realize that your door's glass and that your neighbor's like off and you're like oh no so it's not I'm talking to Instagram stories and the the neighbor's like what is she doing which is just bonkers but I think my escapism like podcasts and things like that there when I'm up here and then down in the house like when we get Barney to bed we cook together and especially through lockdown like we've made more of a more of a conscious effort to like stand and cook together and that was one of the reasons why we designed our kitchen the way we did because we used to live in a house with like a galley kitchen and I think I talked to you about this Robin before maybe um that like you're kind of squeezing past each other and you know if one of you's got a glass of wine there's nowhere to sit and you're kind of a bit awkward so we very much wanted to make this like the space so you sit on a stool, the other person cooks or somebody cuts something and so and it's a real like we oh we love that and it's so so nice and we do it we did before and we will again for friends and it's lovely just to, to be able to to do that and like you switch off and then we would watch if we're still awake by that stage you know sit and watch certain things but like we're we always get into those like series on Netflix like we get really hooked to that kind of thing because normal telly you just you you never kind of get hooked into anything so we always watch those kind of but again they're always like kind of murdery crimey type things and my husband's like what is wrong with you but um no it's good it is it's 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 nice to kind of have that like it's very mundane and very but it's really really kind of healthy to to just be able to switch off that way but I love I'm not the most amazing cook I'm like a bit of a fire starter like I just don't know how to do it I don't know I try really hard but it's not very successful and we have this thing or smoke alarm sends a text to your phone to tell you that there's smoke but I mean that's not helpful because you're in smoke but it sends it to his phone too so like (laughs) I'm cooking and he's at work and he's like ringing me have you started another fire I'm like it's just a small bit of smoke 
like it's fine <laughs> fine so last week he came home and he's like yeah see there was smoke in the kitchen and i was like yes i burnt toast like it's fine and he was like hi have you burnt toast but yeah so cooking is good we get like hello fresh so it's like instructions which i need we get that a couple of nights a week which is lovely and then obviously with baby eating proper food and stuff it's kind of forced me into looking up proper recipes and making things so i do really enjoy it which hopefully will mean the fires are slightly minimized now with practice yeah i think unwinding time is definitely important especially when you work for yourself because you don't you're not kind to yourself and you're out doing things at all hours and you you really need to wind down i mean even if you don't like walk the dogs or i don't know glass of wine or read a book or you know it's all really really important to just kind of to chill you know so otherwise you just go mad and I have been guilty of not doing that in the past and then you just turn around and you're like hang on a wee second I don't want to wake up when I'm like 45 and wonder how we ever like spent any kind of time you know so but we've a week we've a week booked off soon in like a couple of weeks time obviously we can't go anywhere but we're just the two of us just need to really like just spend time with Barney and hopefully we've got time like some time in the garden and just normal mundane like let's just let go of one thing in your head and uh final question what was the last piece of locally made craft you bought that's a really good question okay so it's so long ago because of lockdown i think it was from Gemma. I think it was a Christmas (laughs) because we haven't been out and I haven't really done much online shopping well I did buy something actually last week but it wasn't from a local it was from a girl girls graduate show from across the water yeah I think it was at Christmas at the was it fine and dandy titanic maybe we can't allow this to promote my work oh no that's not right like one of those little lovely plates and it was for a friend for Christmas uh, friends and they loved it uh, oh, absolutely loved it. you and can't they, say well, like if they really hated it like you can no. say that too that's fine <laughs> their house was on RTE's house of the year like they're really hard to buy for CV. Yeah. They, they have like the most incredible house he's an interior designer like incredible it's really hard to buy them stuff like we always get them silly things but then we thought this year we're going to get them like proper gifts we got them loads of different bits and pieces and we got them from the guy there too he grew like your mush grow mushroom things from the farmer and they grew them and they were going to make us like a mushroom pasta thing but then they went on holiday just before lockdown and the mushrooms died or something happened and they looked a bit too weird um so he was like no i had to throw it out so i need to get him another one of them no i think he put it in like have like they have like a composty type so he put it in there like back to the because he said they looked yeah i mean a mushroom doesn't look great <laughs> but yeah so we bought one of those too so we got we got like lovely gifts this year rather than silly stuff and they loved it and i think the next time we were around at their house they which was probably new year they had like things out on he does the most amazing food and all too like he literally he's doing us uh sunday roast uh next week but like delivering to our door because i'm that's like oh, yeah. so we he had stuff just like on your plate and i was like oh my god it looks so good i should have taken a photo of it because like i mean it's like something you'd see in a magazine but yeah so probably yours but i do try really hard to get gifts for family and like occasions and stuff but I always go to spacecraft craft and I to get those sorts of things I always buy wee things but I haven't I've been really actually quite good over lockdown because 
Barney has grown and I've just been buying him clothes and things like that to keep up with that kind of thing and there's never really anything that you kind of want to get because I, I don't like looking at shopping stuff on like because it's just sell 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 so I don't follow that kind of like fashion-y type I don't like any of that because it's just rammed down your throat so I do love going to all of those little fairs and which has obviously not been happening uh, recently so um, I think yeah really 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 sadly it was Christmas but hopefully not for too much longer and because obviously I missed Mother's Day with sent flowers but like Mother's Day is when you always get wee things like that and Father's Day too but yeah so we need to get back and obviously spacecraft's back open again so yeah we can start to start to buy some nice local things again and I know they have I know everyone has a website but I kind of like the I still love the idea of and I obviously I rely heavily on people shopping on my website but I love the idea of saying let's go into town I, I need to get or let's go to Hillsborough or let's go somewhere where you know they've got those lovely small independent stores that you can buy some really beautiful thoughtful gifts like that I love that and I think that's what I've struggled with during this time where you're you're thinking oh my god it's Mother's Day I have to go on and buy something and like send it to them via here and and I obviously I do rely heavily on people doing that for my product but I do love the experience of talking to the person that made the product or is selling the product for the maker and it's yeah so let's get back to that soon and I will have a more recent purchase (laughs) but yes I will be back for more obviously (laughs) and I want to get my nose pierced but my husband said I'm too old because then I would be obviously shopping with Robin but yeah I'm listen I'm too scared of needles like I can't get my blood taken I'm not sure that would but yeah so um well it's been absolutely amazing to speak with you today you are brilliant absolutely great (laughs) you really are thank you Um, but if anybody wanted to get in touch with you or follow your making journey how would they do that or where can they go to get more information about you oh my website which is debratoner.co.uk or my instagram which is Debra underscore toner, I think. <laughs> Just type in Debra Toner, I think. You'll get it. I used to be on Facebook as much as I was on Instagram, but for some reason they've stopped me posting and won't let me in. And so I kind of there's no point in telling you about that. I don't know what is wrong. I need to look into it. I need to take like a half a day. I am, as you guys know quite computer illiterate so it needs to be I need to kind of do some research into that and find out what I've done wrong or maybe I need it's such an old account as well it's like I think I maybe need to start from scratch but website or Instagram is kind of mainly where I would be um there's information on the website and things like that too but uh yeah just send me an email or message and I as I said like I think I am pretty transparent I write back to every message however bonkers it is I do make the point of like writing back because I think if you've taken the time to message it's like only right that you kind of that you kind of get back so yeah it was so lovely to talk to you and thank you so much for for joining us thank you so much it's been so much fun and and thank you for having like I've got a bit of headspace on a Sunday so it's (laughs) so nice thanks a lot thank you I'm just gonna press stop on record I'm not just gonna hang up and Thank you so much, Deborah, for a fantastic glimpse into your practice. Thank you also to the Arts Council of Northern Ireland who have kindly supported our second series with their Artist Emergency Programme. For our next episode, we are making conversations with Goldsmith Tanya Ireland, whose episode we can't wait to share on the 30th of July 2020.